0: Discovering Holiness is our series this month, and tonight we're going to talk about God is holy. God is holy, and hope you all have your handouts with you. I'll try to honor those and stick with them the best I can. I make no guarantees, no promises, but I will try my best. Our text is taken from Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 8. If you have your Bible, you can follow along. If not, I think it'll be on the screen. Uh, the Bible says this in Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and, his, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of, an un, of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said behold this has touched your lips your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged also I heard the voice of the Lord saying whom shall I send and who will go for us then I said here am I send me so the prophet is writing about this incredible encounter that he had with God. Now the mention of King Uzziah in Isaiah 6 and 1 provides an important backdrop for the narrative of this chapter. Uh, The downfall of King Uzziah in the classic Old Testament illustration is, is, is really just about corrupt power, the corruption of power. Uh, 52 years, Uzziah is the second longest recorded royal reign in all of Scripture. 52 years, he was the king over Israel. Such sovereignty is a testimony of unprecedented peace at that time in Israel and prosperity. Uh, marked by remarkable victories and, uh, over their enemies like the Philistines and the, the Amorites, uh, Ammonites. However... The glory of Uzziah's reign came to a humiliating end in his banishment uh, from the kingdom as a leper. Uh, The writer of Chronicles gives us the reason introducing the the tragedy to this story is Uzziah uh, didn't regard uh, his proper role or God's holiness. He didn't regard God's holiness. He trespassed uh, on holy ground. He trespassed into a holy place uh, that he was not fit to serve in. He was not fit to be there. Uh, And when he did that, God struck him with leprosy. uh, And he was immediately banished from the kingdom and uh, banished from his role as the king. Uh, So... It's important to understand that God is holy. We serve a holy God. Uh, and, and, in essence, what that means is he's separate from sin. He's separate from sinners. That doesn't mean he does not love sinners in that he does not love people. But his holiness separates him from any kind of sin. Uh, There is no sin in Him. There is no darkness in Him. There is no iniquity. There there is no uncleanness in God. He is completely and purely holy. Uh, So we have to understand that uh, it is our responsibility to respect and to reverence God's holiness. Uh, Many many nowadays would try to bypass uh, sanctification... Uh, and just live out justification. Uh, the difference is God justifies us. He, he puts us in a right standing when He forgives us and when we're baptized and has to have, have our sins washed away, that's justification uh, that is taking place in our life. but there's we go on unto what the Bible calls as sanctification, where we walk with God uh, and our walk with God takes us closer to him and further from the things of this world, uh, that's called holiness. That's, that's how we pursue holiness because God says, I can't just dabble around down there. Like, you know, God, God, he'll reach. Don't get me wrong. And It's it's hard not to confuse the two, but God will reach and he'll pull people out of sin, but God don't just play around in sin. He don't just hang out in sin. Uh, that's what humanity does. Uh, That's that's what he calls that that hog that goes to wallow in the mire. That's our nature. That's the human nature. But God wants to wash us of that and cleanse us of that. Uh, So understanding that is essential. Uh, God is holy, and it is our responsibility that when he pulls us out of sin, to pursue him in a life of holiness. So let's talk a little bit about this vision, this holy vision that the prophet had. So two assumptions shape our understanding of Isaiah's vision. However, it's important to bear in mind that neither of these are explicit. These aren't explicit assumptions. This is just kind of what we can gather from the text. Uh, The first is that Isaiah's initial calling as a prophet might have been based right here out of Isaiah 6 and 5. Where the Lord said, who will we send? And he immediately stepped forward. And said, I will go, send me. So this might have been his his initial calling into the prophetic ministry after this vision. Uh, The second is that this vision probably took place within the precincts of Solomon's temple. Uh, Since there was seraphim that took a coal from the altar to cleanse Isaiah's lips, it, it is very possible that he was in the temple at that time. Now, though Isaiah's location is a bit ambiguous. Uh, what he saw was clearly the heavenly throne room. He was, he was seeing something that was not of this world. Uh, this is where God sat in royal council. Uh, first thing, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. And this could refer to uh, him sitting on his throne or the fact that he was so far elevated above everything else. Uh, either could be true. Added to this description is that his train, the train of his robe, filled the entire temple. Now, uh, I actually heard Pastor mention something about that Sunday, the train of his robe, when you were kind of exhorting a little bit. And and theologically, there's, there's a couple different things that that could have meant. And, and one of them he mentioned was um, historically, uh, if a king had victory in battle, they would add uh, extensions to the train of his His kingly robe. Uh, So that could very well be what that meant as Isaiah described it. Um, Or it could have been the fact that this was such a massive vision uh, that his whole robe just overflowed and took over the temple because of his majesty. Uh, The fact is he was seated upon a throne. In uh, the Bible, says that heaven is his throne. Actually, Isaiah wrote that. Heaven is his throne, earth is his footstool. So it could have literally just been an overflow of just his robe in this this massive vision that the prophet had. Uh, and He might have had his feet just kind of propped up there in the temple. I, you know, earth is his footstool. So we get it. Uh, it could, it could go. That's not explicit. We try to pull what we can from the vision. Uh, but this was this was an amazing thing that he was he was seeing the Lord. Uh, In this magnified sense, God sitting on this, you know, massive throne, highly exalted with his royal robe on, completely overflowing and filling the earth, his glory. The Bible, Isaiah would go on to say that his glory was filling the earth. Actually, the angel said that holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So that that robe that represented just his glory his royalty, uh, his splendor. <clears throat> the angels cried out. So in this vision, and we're still describing this vision here, the angels begin to cry out. The first thing Isaiah seen was this six winged, what, what the Bible describes as a seraphim. Now, I'm not a theologian, and I'm not familiar with all the different types of angels. But this, apparently, was these seraphims, these angels, were some type of uh, guardians of the throne. They were, or throne bearers. These were angels that were sent to just, that, that was their job. They were dispatched to just kind of hang out there around the throne and cry holy. Magnificent creatures, six-winged creatures. Um, That word seraphim is derived from the Hebrew word seraph, which means to burn. The best translation would be uh, burning or fiery ones, uh, indicating the the blinding brightness of their appearance. So they they were kind of fiery looking angels with these six wings and covering their face, covering their feet and flying around the throne, crying, holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And this triple use of the adjective holy. Indicates that the Lord's holiness is unsurpassable. There is nobody like him. There's nothing like his holiness. The best person you've ever met. The most godly person you've ever known. The most spiritual person. And, and sin free person that you could ever know or imagine. Could not even be. Come close, not even in the same world of his holiness. Uh, God's holiness is unsurpassable. He is completely perfect and pure. Uh, this, the further observation is that these uh, seraphim, who themselves were bright and fiery beings, if you can imagine this, they even covered their face. Shielding their eyes from the splendor of God's divine glory. Now, now this could have been because he's so glorious that even the angels can't even set their face on him. Or because even they feel unworthy in his presence. So they too, this holy being, an angel, is a holy thing. A holy uh, creation of God. Even it was Humbled. In His presence to cover their own face. And their cry explicitly connected the divine holiness as the source of divine glory. It has been proposed that the final line of the angelic cry could be better translated as, The fullness of earth is God's glory. It is God's mission. It is the mission of God to fill the earth with His glory. Are you thankful to be a part of the plan of God? I'm thankful to be a part of the He's going to do that through His church. He's going to do that through spirit-filled believers. It's the kingdom of God. In other words, the earth's very biodiversity and beauty expresses God's profound glory. If that is so, then the ongoingness of the created order, the beauty of each new sunrise and sunset, is as unique as a human fingerprint, actually increases the total amount of God's glory. And that as time rolls on into eternity, His glory will begin to get more expressive and more full as He comes closer. So let's talk about encountering this glory, encountering God's glory. What really strikes the curiosity, what really piques our interest and our intrigue when we read a, a story like this is that his description, uh, you know, was a peak. It was just a it was it was almost like God just kind of pulled back the veil a little bit. And yet he's seen such a glorious scene. And, and that was just a small moment. What a moment, though. What, what an encounter that this prophet had with God. The apostle Paul uh, had a heavenly encounter also with the Lord. Uh, he described a man in Christ, he said, taken up to the third heaven, uh, which is known to be the abode of God. He said, he said, I heard unspeakable words, which was not even lawful for man to utter. The Apostle Paul had an encounter with God taken into the heavens. He said, I I knew a man, Uh, many scholars believe that it was him, that he was just being humble, didn't want to brag or boast. But he said, who heard things in the heavens that he can't repeat. It's not lawful. God would not give permission for him to even repeat what he heard. The words and the languages and the sounds that he heard in heaven. The Apostle John's vision of the resurrected Christ on the Isle of Patmos quite literally stunned him in so much that he wrote, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. This is what the Apostle John uh, described in his vision. He said, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw... Seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, girded about the chest with a golden band, his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire, his feet like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters." He had in his right hand the seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in his strength. And he said, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet like I was dead. Talk about an encounter with God's glory. He just just collapsed. (laughs) He just dropped. I'm dead. (laughs) That's powerful stuff. What do you do? What do you do? I hope you would drop. I, I don't know. Drop. Hit the ground. Hit the deck. Cover your face. Something about the divine experience in the revelation throughout Scripture leaves humanity dumbstruck with awe and fear of God's holiness. We need a revelation of God's holiness. That's what we need. We need a revelation of how holy He is. We need a revelation of how great He is. When we get a revelation of how holy He is and how great He is, we will change. We will change our ways. We will change our behavior. We will change the things we say and do in the places we go. We will change ourselves when we truly see Him and have an encounter with His holiness. I can't help but correlate that it was after the death of the king that Uzziah seen this great vision. And it leads me to believe that if we're going to have an encounter with God, something might need to die. Maybe, Maybe our kingship, maybe our lordship, maybe our sovereignty needs to just die out in the presence of the Lord. Because he's got to be sovereign. He's got to be the king. He said, I seen the king high and lifted up. He seen the real king, the true king. So sometimes we've got to lay down self. We've got to kill self. And and, and, and don't misunderstand me. Uh, I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about spiritually. We've got to die out to ourselves in the will of our flesh and in our own personal ways and deeds. That will get us there. That will get us closer to his holiness. So it's not all clear from any of these figures uh, that they could describe this situation as exciting or pleasant. When you encounter God in this way, it's usually not something you're going to jump around and shout around about. It's usually something you lay down on your face in complete humility. As John said, as I was a dead man, I didn't deserve to be there. I think about the words of Peter after they hauled in. All of those fish, when Peter looked at the Lord and said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. I'm not even worthy to be in this boat because he understood he was in the presence of deity. While seeking the Lord for who he really is sounds like a noble goal. It has never been an encounter that was sought lightly. In fact, most biblical accounts, it was an encounter that was never really sought at all. Romans 10 and 20, uh, Paul repeats the words of Isaiah. He said, uh, Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found of those who did not seek me, and I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. To commit to seeing God is truly a commitment of total transformation. If you really want to see God, if you really want to encounter God, then you're willing to change, you're willing to transform, you're willing to do whatever it takes to get to that point. It is impossible to see God in this way and remain the same. It's impossible to get an encounter like this or a life-changing encounter with God and leave the same way you came. What a waste that would be. What a waste that would be to encounter God in such a way and then to leave Only to return the same way you came. So let's talk about uh, holiness effects on us. Or holiness effects in general. God cannot be honored by veneer or fancy words or pretty phrases covering a heart that has evil thoughts and evil desires. God sees right through that. The revelation of holiness we experience in worship calls us to be humble. It causes us to humble ourselves and be authentic and brutally honest before the Lord. If we truly want his holiness and we truly want to draw closer to God in this kind of way. Lord, I want more of you. I want to be more like you. Honesty has to be right at the forefront of our lips. We can't just come to God. You may be able to fool some of the people. Some of the time. You may be able to fool most of the people most of the time. But you'll never fool everybody all the time. And you will certainly not fool God at any time. God knows everything. So when we come to Him, it is imperative for us to just be humble. God, you know me. You know me, Lord. I'm not faking it here. God, I need help. I want more and I've got to get this right and this right and I need you to do it. It's about being honest. God draws near to the humble, but he will resist the proud. He will hold you out and say, no, you're not ready. You're not ready. But if you're humble, he'll draw you in as close as you want to be. Holiness brings results into our lives. Isaiah described uh, for us the effects of this vision. The seraphic cries were so continuous and so loud that the heavenly temple was shaken. Uh, this, this is reminiscent of the Sinai encounter when the mountains and the earth quaked at the very presence of God. They, the more they cried holy, the more the place was shaken. The more they cried holy, the more the, the glory cloud would fill that atmosphere, that environment that Isaiah was in. There's something about God's holiness that attracts God's glory and this this is why we can have the services we have this is why we feel the the power of the spirit that we feel Uh, it is because we are a people that is striving to walk with God in a holy way there is no way. There's other spirit-filled believers. There's other jesus name baptism believers. But if you're not walking in a, in a life of sanctification, you are missing out on the glory of God. It is that, that holy um, pursuit that brings His glory into our services. So thank God for holiness. Thank God that we can walk in a sanctified mindset that says, Lord, I want to be like you. The Apostle Peter wrote, be holy for he is holy. What Isaiah described as this smoke kind of recalls the the introduction or or the, uh, what's that called when they, dedication. They dedicated the temple. The Bible says that the glory of the Lord filled the temple in such a way that the priests, they couldn't even minister. They had to get out of there. There was nothing they could do. The glory of the Lord filled that place. So this is kind of what Isaiah was seeing. He was seeing this glorious kind. He described it as smoke. This cloud that would fill that area. There's many instances in Scripture that show where God's holiness is there. Where God's holiness is there. It's his glorious presence as as well. So there's that connection. They go hand in glove. You want the glory of God in your life. Pursue holiness. Pursue sanctification. Holiness brings conviction into our lives. Isaiah's response to this awesome sight was not wow. It was woe. Woe is me. I should not be here right now. This is not my stomping grounds. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. He said, I dwell in the midst of a people of the same. My culture is unclean, their mouths are dirty as well. He said, I am undone. Isaiah pronounced himself. He said, I'm lost. Lord, I'm sinful. I should not be here. The most immediate context for Isaiah's dread was the story of Uzziah. He he just mentioned after the king died. He knew the story. The king overstepped his boundaries. He he stepped out of his lane, and he trespassed on God's holiness. And God struck him. And Isaiah saying, oh, "Lord, hey, I don't want to be like Uzziah. Lord, I'm undone. I shouldn't be here right now." What might Isaiah think could happen to him? If that happened to the king, what would happen to him if he trespassed? Now, God clearly told Moses, and and this this was very uh, consistent mindset in the Old Testament. When when you had an encounter like this, you thought you were dead. Most people, if if you know your Bible, when they had an encounter with a holy angel or a situation like this, they thought, I'm a dead man. I am a dead man. This was the reverence they had in it for God. They wouldn't even utter his name in, certain, in a certain way. Because just to take his name in vain could have brought God's judgment upon them. So he thought immediately, God, I, I'm a dead man. I have seen the Lord. The Bible, he told Moses, no man can see my face and live. So he's thinking, there's a good possibility the prophet's thinking this is his end. From that point, the holy glory of the Lord was seen as something overwhelming. In its power and purity, mere humans could not physically survive it. He told Moses this I can't show you my glory, Moses. It'll kill you. He said, But what I can do is I can hide you in this little rock right here, and I'll just pass by you. And I'll let you see kind of the, the tail end, basically. Uh, I'll let you see the train of my robe as it drags by. It's basically what he was telling Moses. So this was an understanding. This was an Old Testament mindset. To to see the glory and to feel it in such a way could cost you your life. So Isaiah's sense of doom was probably stemmed from his sinful condition. He knew, I got a a mouth on me, Lord. (laughs) I got a problem here uh honesty before god we're given no real clue as what the transgressive speech was but biblically speaking the speech reveals the heart so we know that isaiah was just being honest with god i've I've got a heart issue sometimes it comes out of my mouth and and it's the same for the people i i live among it's it's kind of a cultural issue his confession of generally sinful disposition uh, was not just something specific. It was just, it was just kind of, you ever been around people like that? that just kind of, they just got a mouth on them. They just pop off or they just say what first thing that comes to their mind. Not a real filter. I'm thinking that might've been the problem here. Uh, it might be like that for preachers. I don't know. I don't know. We just spout off. We say things. I think we can get away with it uh, because, you know, you're a preacher. But Isaiah was a prophet, so he was probably used to just spouting off whatever. But uh, he felt convicted in that moment. He felt convicted. There was something in his heart that he knew was not quite right. And before the majesty of God's divine holiness, all, I, all Isaiah could see was his own corruption. It was like he was looking at his, his sin in the mirror. Magnified in the light of God's moral perfection and splendor. That's right. That's what we should see. When we are in an encounter with God, we should should be doing some self-reflection. I hope that makes sense. When we come into an encounter with a holy God, there should be something in us that says, oh, oh, I got some issues I need to get straightened out. That's a good thing. If you don't feel that way, you might be. You might be the dead. He might go ahead and just do it. Just get it over with. I don't know. I don't know. But hopefully there would be something inside of us that would just say, God, get me. Get me right. Get me. Make me better. In in this world that is so focused on self, in this world that is so focused on our image, our appearance, self-esteem, self-confidence, selfies, I hope that we can look within ourselves, still and, and get some things in order, get some things right. Isaiah went from flawed to forgiven, though. This is the beauty of God's holiness. As Isaiah stood there awaiting the unknown, the seraphim broke rank. He left what he was doing, and he grabbed some tongs and picked up a coal from the altar And flew to Isaiah and touched his mouth. And he said, your iniquity is purged. Your sin is forgiven. What an amazing experience. What what Isaiah thought was his flaw. What Isaiah thought was the area that would bring God's worst upon him follow me. What Isaiah thought would have brought God's judgment upon him brought God's mercy upon him. That's that's the trick of the enemy, so that you will hide your flaws, so that you will hide your sin, so that you will cover it, and hopefully God don't judge me, because if he sees this, this iniquity, this sin, this issue, surely He will punish me. And what happens is, instead of God punishing us because He is holy, because He is just, because He is merciful, because He is forgiving, He goes to that area of our life and He says, I want to purge it. I want to purge your iniquity. I want to forgive your sins. I want to make you holy so that you can be holy as I am holy. It's it's not God's will to just go around finding fault and punishing us for it. It's God's will to open it up, discover it, let us do some self-discovery and then purge it in His mercy. What Isaiah thought would have brought judgment instead brought compassion. It brought mercy. It brought forgiveness. Sometimes it's the areas of struggle that we think God is going to get us for. I just want to reiterate that. God's not after you because you struggle. God's not looking to catch you up and punish you. He's looking to help you. He's looking to get you right. should remind us that God is slow to anger and quick to forgive. He is perfectly loving and perfectly merciful. Forgiveness then should be understood as an outflow of God's holiness. It is mercy that flows from the holy God. It is not judgment, it is mercy. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want you to take a look at this video we've got and, and, and listen to this uh, young lady talk a little bit about God's forgiveness in light of our imperfections.
1: The topic of confidence has always been a tricky conversation. On the one hand, we can all agree that it is not healthy to feel hopelessly insecure about yourself. But on the other hand we can also agree that too much confidence lands us in the field of pride and conceitedness where is the happy medium especially in the life of a christian the bible tells us in hebrews that we should approach his throne of grace with confidence that we should be confident in his calling that we should have confident faith that we should be sure of who we are and who he has created us to be and all of that sounds very wonderful but What about us normal people that don't wake up every day feeling very confident? While we want to keep a heavenly perspective, sometimes it's hard to view our life through the lens of confidence when all we see is our mistakes and shortcomings. It's hard to feel confident as we replay the negative situations we have faced, and it's hard to feel confident as fear clouds our minds with the negativity that seems to loom ahead. Yet God calls us to be strong and courageous. While life is sure to be complicated sometimes and you won't always feel like a supermodel when you look in the mirror first thing in the morning, while it is sure that you will make mistakes and that people around you will too, I have come to remind you that you can still be confident. Please let me remind you that the presence of failure should not diminish your confidence, but should all the more show you how loved and forgiven you are. This doesn't give us a license to keep on making mistakes with no rewards, just like the Bible talks about. But this does give us a path to keep getting back up, even when we feel knocked down. In the presence of a holy God, at church, during worship moments and altar calls, we can feel especially vulnerable. While repentance is vital to your relationship with God, make sure to not forget that, yes, He died for your sins, but He also rose again so that you could walk in newness of life yes even for you christian that was born and raised in church there is still newness for you when you realize that your mistakes do not have to derail you but that his blood really is powerful enough to forgive you it fuels a new type of confidence that this world cannot give you this world tells you to be confident in yourself alone which will only lead to disappointment once you mess up or someone else does something better than you the bible instructs us to have a godly confidence to see ourselves through the lens in which god sees us it's vulnerable it's difficult sometimes but the end result is a lasting confidence why because you are now confident that you are forever forgiven always loved and constantly watched over by an ever-present father you can be sure that you were sculpted planned designed and brought to life by the master artist you can find the courage to seek forgiveness because you know that even if you mess up again there is a loving God there to catch you. This is how you can have confidence when you serve a holy God. I hope this has been helpful to someone today. Remember, be confident in who God has made you and called you to be. He doesn't make mistakes, and this world needs what you have been given.
0: Good stuff. God God calls us to holiness. The Bible says, come out from among them and be holy, saith the Lord separate yourself. That doesn't mean that you're never gonna make a mistake. That doesn't mean that uh, you can never get to a place uh, where you feel right. Uh, God wants to make you holy. And it's gonna start just through being honest with him. Just by saying, Lord, help me to get to that place of confidence where I can just walk knowing that I'm good, I'm I'm okay. Uh, There's no condemnation in my life. Uh, that's, the, that's the problem in this day. Uh, the enemy wants to beat us down with condemnation because we have mistakes, because we have a past, because we have failures. But God said, I, I'm willing to forgive all of that. I'm willing to wash all that away. Just seek me, pursue me, pursue my holiness, pursue my righteousness. He purifies us with his holiness. He purifies us with his holy blood that he shed for us. And he does that for a purpose. God purifies us so that we can walk with him and fulfill purpose in him. What transpired uh, was a shift in Isaiah's fundamental relationship to God. It went from feeling like a sinful outsider to feeling like a holy insider. Because God forgave him. God purged his iniquity. God was willing to give him another chance. Isaiah was now positioned to hear the deliberation of Jehovah's counsel. He was in the throne room. Given now this sanctified status, Isaiah was allowed in the divine discussion in a much of the same way that God would include Abraham in times of old. Uh, God said, who will we send? Is there a man that we can send? Uh, now, let me just clarify this. God is not discussing with uh, a lesser God, a demigod. He's not discussing among a triune uh, little covenant there with with other gods. God talks to himself. God talks to angels. God discusses his plans with mankind. God does not discuss his plans with lesser gods or anyone beside him. Uh, This is what the Apostle Paul said, Ephesians 1.11. He said, In him also we have obtained an inheritance Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel, hear this, of his own will, of his own will. He takes counsel within himself. And Isaiah was uniquely positioned in this moment. And without even knowing what the task was, Isaiah said, I will go. I will go, Lord, send me. Now he had the confidence As this lady just talked to us about this sister, talked to us, he felt confident now that he can fulfill purpose. When condemnation weighs on our minds because of failures, because of flaws, we can never adequately fulfill purpose because we never feel like we're worthy or we'll measure up. But when we receive God's sanctification, His justification, His forgiveness, when we feel like God has washed us and cleansed us and forgiven us, we can confidently fulfill purpose for the Lord. And that's why Isaiah said, I'm good now, Lord. Send me. I'll go. Not even knowing what the task was. So holiness brought about purpose. Holiness required Humility, though, Isaiah, if we just like Isaiah, if we desire to seek to be called, then we must understand that there is an expectation to be pure. God expects us to have purity of heart and mind. Purpose without purity will cause us to mishandle holy things. This may require an honest confession like Isaiah. Woe is me, Lord, I'm unclean. I need your holiness. So we cannot handle the holy calling of God, the holy purpose of God, with carnal hands and a carnal mind. We've got to have a pure heart and a pure mind in a spiritual walk with God. Something that, something that is near Him. Something that is pursuing Him. Truth be told, we would much rather skip over confession and holiness Am I lying? I'm not even going to go into detail, but I had a conversation earlier. I said, I thought I was just going to kind of hopefully just kind of go over. I just kind of was hoping that would just kind of roll over. We want to skip over those things. We want to skip over confession. We want to skip, skip over uh, the, the tough stuff and, and not really confess and ask for forgiveness. Uh, but that's a component of, of worship is getting honest with God and saying, God, I I need help, I need forgiveness, I need mercy, Lord. Uh, Not so that we can go out and do it again, but so that we can be better positioned to fulfill His commission in our lives. A pure heart and pure motives is the key if we desire purpose and calling. Personal pride must be laid down in humble surrender to Jesus. This always is the prerequisite to cleansing and calling. This is why we always talk to people about repentance before we baptize them. Because it is not effective if if there's not a true heart of repentance. The calling and the purpose of God can never be effective if if we're not ready, ready to get honest before God and just confess to God and ask God for His holiness. If we'll seek to stand in the searing light Of God's holiness. We will certainly find forgiveness. And we will gain purpose. For the kingdom. And for the process. And for the the things of God. Who's on keys tonight? I'm looking. I'm not seeing. I'm closing. I'm looking for my go-to here. None of us enjoy having our faults exposed. None none of us enjoy being vulnerable. I don't know about you, but I don't don't like feeling exposed and vulnerable. Offer Scott Maltz asserts that we are actually neurologically wired to fear criticism. In much the same way that we fear failure or change. Even happy people are four times more likely to remember criticism than praise. We don't like to be exposed. We don't like our faults and our flaws for everybody to see. That makes it difficult sometimes. That's that's, that's why we see people afraid to come to the altar. They don't want to look guilty. People are afraid to come to the front because it's a vulnerable feeling. They feel like, well, if I go to the front, people are going to think I have a problem. People are going to think I have flaws. I got news for you. We all got problems. We all got flaws. I, I think there's a few people in here that are willing to admit, I got problems. I was talking to somebody tonight about how God brought every one of us out of something. I said, everyone in this church, every single one, whether they were raised in church or not, God had to bring them out of something. God had to help them. God's probably still helping. There's probably people here right now. God's trying to pull you out of something. Because we're flawed. But we don't like being exposed. But there's something about getting into God's presence where he says, it's time to get honest. It's time to get real. Will you stand with me tonight? I want to have just a moment of prayer here. I feel the hand of the Lord, I felt His touch in in our worship, and I believe that this this, uh, series is just the start of something special for some people here, that God wants to help you get, maybe just from this point to the next point, even if it's just just a little closer, God wants to bring you closer into His His presence. Uh, You know, sometimes we get to this place where we feel like, I'm as close to God as I have ever going to get but that's not true there's more in the Lord there's more in God for each person here but it's going to come with just being willing to to leave some things behind often we don't get as close to God as we would like to because we're not willing to let go of some things that can't come with us because we can get as close to him as we want but it's going to come with releasing some things that this world has had a hold on you for a while. And that goes for me. That goes for all of us. I believe God's, God's trying to draw us into a closer proximity with His holiness in this life of sanctification. Will you take a moment, just pray with me tonight, and just invite the Lord in. I want you to invite Him into your life, into your situation, to examine you, to help you. Lord, God, you know every situation. Lord, you know the things we struggle with, the things we wrestle with.